Hello, Gavones. A uh, quick note before we start the show. Hog Planet has a Patreon now. It's at patreon.com slash hogplanet. Why support Hog Planet? We want to use this platform to showcase writers, activists, content creators we believe in, all of which uh, cost money. We want to pay our guests. So we're launching this Patreon so we can cover business expenses. What's in it for you if you subscribe uh, as a reward for uh, monthly support? Patrons receive bonus content, including the endings to longer episodes, as well as patron-exclusive videos, podcasts, original artwork, and more. We also encourage patrons to contribute to the Hog Discourse by voting in Hog of the Month polls and suggesting episode topics. And of course, you receive Sam and my undying gratitude. Welcome to Hog Planet, the podcast where we weigh, tag, and grade the hogs of politics, of culture, the oversatiated, oversaturated, uh, just just the gluttonous uh, things about being an American. And uh, I am Dan Spaventa, joined as always by my good buddy Sam Lewis. Sam, uh, what's, what's going on today? What's up, Gavones? I'm... You know, hanging out in D.C., it's getting towards a period of time in D.C. where it feels like the tropics, as if you're, like, in the Caribbean somewhere, where it's, like, thundering randomly in the afternoon and then going back to being sunny. And then, um, yeah, the humidity is coming up and just buckling down and hoping that the deluge doesn't ruin my apartment. Yeah, I'm already uh, ordering a new air conditioner because <laughs> this one's not cutting it. New York is really like swampy as well. I, I don't know. I, I've always found the yeah. summers there like unbearable, honestly. No, the summer is honestly one of the worst times to be here. And our guest uh, has lived in New York and knows that for sure. Uh, she is a brilliant writer. Uh, she's an old friend of mine. It is Samantha Riedel. Samantha, how are you? I'm doing so well, Dan. How are you? Well, you know, it's hot, but it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm. Yeah. I was literally, like, before we started recording, I was literally trying to take a nap and failing in my room because it's too warm. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you have to point two fans from different directions and just, like, hope for the best. That's uh, the plan. That's the plan. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, Samantha, you, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit to the audience of the show if they don't uh, know your writing? If, uh, you know, they haven't. Uh, I mean, if they haven't heard of you, uh, please uh, introduce yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I'm Samantha Riedel. I am a freelance journalist uh, and culture writer. Um, most of my writing uh, has appeared on them.us, Condé Nast's LGBTQ uh, news and issues site. You may have also seen my work uh, here and there on Huffington Post, uh, in Bitch Magazine, um, here and there. Uh, I... I Right where uh, the writing is accepted. <laughs> May I ask how how has that been since graduating college? That navigating the freelance writing world. I know it's obviously ups and downs. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
Well, so I didn't really start getting into full-time freelancing for a while after uh, college. Um, for a while, I was kind of dicking around in the in the startup fields of New York <laughs> uh, with uh, with all all the tech bros who think that their uh, Facebook with the serial numbers filed off idea is just <laughs> hot. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean. I mean, I got into freelancing and uh, expanded uh, the scope of what I was doing a lot more um, after I transitioned. The most uh, the most basic reason for that is just I had more to actually talk about. Um, I think when I I was still writing uh, when you were and I you and I were going to uh, SUNY Binghamton together. And I was uh, trying to develop my voice at the time, but uh, I really hadn't experienced anything. And I didn't have a lot of things to say that were my own. Uh, they were a lot of a lot of ideas, a lot of fairly uh, generic liberal ideas in America uh, that I'd sort of absor uh, absorbed. We all loved Barack Obama. We sure did. I literally ran screaming across the quad uh, in the middle of Binghamton <laughs> campus uh, when we found out that Obama won and I got let out of theater practice that night. I was I was all in. And yeah, but like um, I transitioned starting in 2015 and all of a sudden I started actually having um, like reasons to back up my worldviews and... Uh, experiences that were worth sharing and I felt were like were worth sharing with uh, a wider audience um and then and uh, I got to a point where people were actually agreeing with me more often than not so can I ask you though did transitioning turn you into more of a leftist that's a really interesting question so I was uh, I would actually have counted myself as more of a leftist in uh, high school than I was in college, there was a really weird phenomenon that took place where I got like a little bit more conservative in the sense that um, I wanted to be seen as being a very pragmatic person. And um, I was very focused on like, well, I had all of these dreams and ideas for what I wanted my country to look like, um, but now that I'm older and wiser, you know, we, we got to work within the system, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then, but yes, absolutely. Uh, I think that transitioning really snapped me out of that because it, it not only got me back in touch with uh, the really strong emotions that I had had uh, in, in my past. And I wasn't just uh, sort of um, sloughing my way through existence, uh, but it gave, like I said, it gave me um, reasons to back up my worldviews um, and to actually get in touch with people who were being affected by the economic injustices that I had previously only thought about um, in abstract terms, the way I think a lot of white people do um, in America. Yeah, I definitely, f I feel like I went through sort of a, I wouldn't say I was like more conservative in college, meaning that like I was anything close to a Republican, but um, <laughs> I was definitely more of like what 
centrist liberals say now about how, you know, if you go too far, you're going to alienate people or, you know, you might end up like Venezuela <laughs> or something. And I don't know, it's like kind of embarrassing thinking back. I think something about college doesn't really, pre- and also the Ob- Obama years were definitely about like, we can't go too Compromise. far or else the, yeah, we got to do bipartisanship. We can't go too far or else the Republicans, you know, we'll never get anything past them. And it's like, you know, for, for, for pretty clear reasons, you're not going to get anything past them anyway. And um, I don't know, you might as well have like a full throated defense of yourself. And I think like unlearning that has been a process for me. I, um, I definitely, I, I, I even, I took a lot of classes on, on communism and like communist countries. I was a history major in college and I took a lot of classes on like, china um i studied abroad in cuba like i definitely did a lot of reading and it was always like looking for things that they did well and then also looking for like where did the butt come from like like everything was going well until like but this happened or like but they went too far and i'm i don't know it was just like a weird time in my life where i wasn't i was afraid to like go as far i think it's maybe the timing maybe where i was at at that time but also um you know, definitely the Obama years taught us like, you know, you got to agree with Obama or else you're, um, I don't know, at least you're, or else you're with like the tea party or whatever. What do you think of Joe Biden? Oh boy. Uh, do you mean the guy whose idea, uh, of answering the call to, uh, address police violence in America is to train, uh, police to shoot people in the knee? Are we talking about that guy? Are we ta- as if you can't die from being shot in the leg? Are we talking about that? Joe we, don't, Biden? we don't have to talk about that guy because yeah. <laughs> honestly, I could not give a fuck if he wins or loses. He is disgusting. He also suggested that they raise the budgets of the police departments. Yeah, it's. I think so. Like, what frustrates me about this is that there's there isn't really much of a debate to be had about Joe Biden. Like, um, I don't think that any person who has been conscious for a majority of the hours that we've spent since 2016 would like look at uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump and tell you that like, on on like a weighing the scale of their hearts or whatever (laughs) nonsense we're supposed to be doing. Like Donald Trump is clearly a worse person, like pound for pound. He's a bad person. That doesn't make Joe Biden a better person or a particularly good person. Um, But I'm not, I, there's a, there is a definite, um, there's a lot of nerves on the on the moderate liberal left about, um, you know, well, if you're criticizing Biden, then either that means that you're not going to vote for him or you're giving uh, ammunition to the Republicans. And I just I don't have the energy and I would have a lot more sympathy for those who are like, well, save it for after the election and try and push him if those folks really seem to have any intention on pushing him. No, and the people who surrounding him are all Obama's Wall Street goons, so there's sure. no pushing him. It's He's already yeah. got his, his people. So, I don't know. I, I guess I wanted to hear your perspective on, because you know, I've been told by vocally saying I'm probably not, I might not vote for Joe Biden. I live in New York. Who gives a shit? Yeah. Um, I've been told that it, it's it's a slap in the face to my LGBTQ, Q friends 
And <laughs> that, that, that kind of made me really mad. So I just. Did your to... LGBTQ friends tell you that? Because I don't nope. think we did. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. It was my white uh, cis. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean. All the yeah. privileges. So I just wanted to maybe get a response from uh, a trans friend of mine. You can talk to a lot. So the, that sort of rhetoric uh, peeves me in general. Um, Cause that's like uh, us going around and saying that, saying that shit for communities of color, um, you know, going out and, and saying that we would have uh, the right to flatten out an entire community's opinion about a really complicated period in electoral politics in America um, that's like gratuitous and wrong. And I don't appreciate it when it's done for uh, the the LGBTQ community. Um, there are so many disagreements. It, it, like you, you uh, narrow things down to specifically trans women and we can't agree on, on a lot of stuff. It, I, I can't tell you how there are uh, conservative trans women besides Caitlyn Jenner, I can't tell you how or why there are registered trans Republicans, but there are. Um, and it's certainly not a slap in the face to them. I don't know. Um, but yeah, there, there are plenty of, uh, queer folks who would just as soon that all of that energy that people are telling you to put into campaigning for Biden or whatever, um, would much rather you like be putting that energy into like street action or you know uh putting pressure on smaller levels of government in order to actually enact uh civil rights legislation that's meaningful but these are people who never do anything political other than show up to the ballot box like once every four years like th that's that's the kind of people who talk like that Sure. Oh, yeah. I, I don't disagree with that. Um, and that's that's probably what's um, most frustrating about it is um, I think there's there's such a uh, it's it's such a weird pundit class um, that doesn't just include the, the people who are paid to be pundits. Everyone's a pundit now. Yeah. Everybody thinks that, you know, um, just by having a very strong opinion um, about a political thing, like that is an action to be taken. Um, and it isn't like, I, I would say that the extent to which I do political activism, um, which like some of, some of my work, um, I think you can classify as activist and some of it you can't. I, I, I think that what I do, uh, is about as <laughs> far away from like, punditry as you can get while still doing like activism in a way that's essentially uh, uh, talking at people and, and trying to convince them. I, I think I've uh, mangled that sentence a little bit, but you know what I'm talking about, but oh, like, <laughs> but just like kind of having an opinion on Facebook isn't like standing up for what you believe in. The putting a black square on Instagram doesn't quite, uh, doesn't quite, uh, really change any minds maybe it was good for like a day I mean, but you know and like the black well the black square stuff is fine until you start like tagging at black lives matter and yeah fucking up, up the space hashtag in that, yeah. yeah and taking up space in the hashtag where people were actually using it to 
to organize. Yeah, it's a it is a little frustrating to have to really deal with. Uh, and uh, I would say another part of this is uh, everybody likes to do their own whataboutism. Um, and everybody wants to be engaged with that uh, individually. Uh, and if you don't decide to engage with any given person on their, on their well, actually, of choice, um, then they'll get on their high horse and like, well, you can't expect to convince anybody <laughs> if you're going to treat people like that. Um, I don't know. There's it's discourse is is super super weird right now in this country, and it's really it can be very exhausting to participate in, um, even if you're getting paid to do it. Well, why don't we uh, why don't we move into some of your work that uh, you just referred to? Um, Ooh, well, uh, you know, <laughs> activism, non-activism. Uh, if you insist, Sam, uh, my Sam, uh, co-host. Uh, why don't we? Oh, Sam. <laughs> We have literally made that joke. Like, I have no idea how many times in my life Dan has like done some Frodo uh, line yeah. to me at like weird hours of the day. Um, but yeah. This podcast such a burden to carry. I can't I carry can't this carry podcast you. for you. He's doing the same thing as me. Good lord. Anyway, all right. All right let's let's talk. Let, uh, let's talk. Let's go through some of the articles here. Absolutely. So. Um, one of the most recent ones that uh, that you wrote that I thought was very interesting, even though it's about something that I, I don't know anything about, like wrestling, uh, pro wrestling in particular. It's um, a story about um, about Nyla Rose, who is a heel in the All Elite Wrestling AEW wrestling organization. I I, I don't know what the terminology federation is. federation <laughs> promotion um, actually promotion. Okay, cool. Uh, a promotion. Um, she started, I think, uh, February 7th of this year and um, is known as the Native Beast. She is a trans woman. She is black and Onita. Um, but luckily, uh, one of the things you point out is that this has not necessarily been made into a like racist plot point the way that I guess uh, it has been for some other wrestlers. Yeah. So, like, um, a lot of what I think... Um especially a lot of us who were 90s and like early 2000s kids uh, associate with wrestling is uh, WWE's Attitude Era mm -hmm. uh, with Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock uh, and and all, all of your favorites uh, who you casually recognize from pop culture now but haven't actually watched wrestling. Uh, so much of what those storylines contained uh, was some pretty vicious shit. Uh, what's coming to mind um, just immediately is the storyline where uh, Triple H, who's still with the company and is like, I can't remember, uh, Chief uh, chief Operations Officer? I, I can't remember. When he was uh, performing in ring regularly, he had a feud with a black wrestler uh, named Booker T. And they were feuding for weeks and weeks. Um, and, you know, and so the way this works in wrestling is you're supposed to build to uh, the, the big climactic fight at the pay-per-view and get everybody riled up to, to see the, the hero theoretically beat the heel, finally, and, and for the heel to really get what's coming to him. And to build up all that heat for Triple H, who was the heel against Booker T, Trips did some, like, really racist shit. And by really racist shit, I mean he just straight up came out in blackface. Yeah. Oh, yikes. 
Yeah. Um, and like, that's pretty infamous in, in wrestling, but not as infamous as the fact that after that happened, Triple H went over Booker T at the pay-per-view and won. So his character never got any consequences for that. And actually neither did the real guy, Paul Levesque in, uh, in real life. And like, that's just systematic. Like, um, and there's tons of stories of male talent mistreating female talent backstage. And, you know, we can, we can put the, put two and two together when it comes to, uh, black women in wrestling. Um, and overall how few, uh, of them there are and why maybe that might be, mm. but th there has been a, a lot of, uh, very progressive moments, uh, in, in wrestling of late. Um, and I'm not really talking about WWE, uh, finally getting the message a couple of years ago that it was time to change the name of the division back to the women's division instead of the divas. Uh, I am. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there in, in indie wrestling in particular, there's been, um, there's been a huge boom in women's wrestling. There's been a huge boom in, uh, in intergender wrestling, uh, and also queer wrestlers have been, uh, highlighted more and more frequently. And though, and expressions of queerness in a wrestling ring are not necessarily going to be punchlines anymore. Effie, uh, is one India wrestler who, uh, has been planning his, uh, Effie's big gay brunch, uh, for months and months now. And that's just going to feature a lot of queer wrestlers uh, having matches, um, at, uh, a, a fucking gay ass brunch somewhere. So, um, but like, but Nyla Rose to me is really, um, kind of, uh, in, in, in a lot of ways, the epitome of that, um, because like you said, she's a black woman and Oneida, um, and trans, uh, like all these points of, of marginalization, and uh, she is in one of the most uh, visible places in AEW right now. And not just that, she's allowed to really like chew the scenery uh, and get into being a nasty heel who just likes to walk around and beat people up and put them through tables. So is AEW like, where does that rank in terms of uh, like WWE is like the biggest one, right? Yeah, so and, and AEW is kind of at this point, I would say, like the second biggest promotion in America. Huh. Um, I, I don't really know if that's um, if that's debatable right now, especially because there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of shakeups in wrestling over the past couple of weeks, sexual assault allegations and abuse allegations. And um, at least one promotion has shut its doors as a result of that. So um, but yeah, AEW is definitely like probably number two to WWE in the U S um, definitely still like top five promotions worldwide now. Um, and that's like a good part of that is definitely because they got um, Tony Khan, uh, the Indian billionaire who uh, owns the uh, Jaguars, I think. Um, but it also comes because uh, this was at its core, an idea by wrestlers to make a, a promotion by and for wrestlers. Yeah, there's there's a lot to indicate that um, 
there are good changes going on in wrestling as a as an art form and as an industry. Um, and I think that if you want to see a lot of what that looks like, you can look at Nyla Rose and AEW. I'm interested in this line that Sam pulled from the piece. Uh, it's quoted, so I'm pretty sure this was this a line from the piece. Uh, rep- <laughs> representation is not the same as liberation. Uh, could you uh, maybe elaborate on that? Because I think people, yeah, absolutely. people think representation is like the only thing that matters. Liberals do. Well, and like, um, so this is a point uh, that gets expounded on in a little bit more detail um, in uh, the new documentary that Laverne Cox just put out um, on Netflix uh, called Disclosure, uh, which I just got finished watching last night. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah, I heard it was excellent. Um, yeah, uh, Jen Richards talks about this in, in the in the documentary, and she's also written about it before. Um, uh, and uh, I'm sorry, I'm, <laughs> I'm tangenting a little bit. No, please. Um, the... The impetus, I think, uh, to get more trans representation on screen, uh, whether that's TV or or film, um, it's a good one. It's one that I've uh, certainly championed in the past uh, with more of my work uh, than just this. But um, it's we have to be careful not to let a... uh, a, a symbolic representation of social progress suddenly transform in our minds to the actuality uh, of social progress. To some people, putting a trans character in like a Marvel movie would be like, you know, to, to, I think to, to many people that would seem like the ultimate victory, even if there were still plenty of homeless uh, trans people or yeah, yeah you know i, I mean? think you're right about that yeah and there's also um a specific example of that is in one of the star trek movies uh one of the new ones like the jj abrams or i don't know whoever's making them these yeah. days yeah there's a, i know what you're talking about yeah already. with george takai <laughs> um basically like they have for the listeners who don't know um they have the character zulu have like they just all, kind of in a one second clip show him like kissing a man and then it's like um, we're supposed to believe that, I guess, because George Takai is gay in real life, that Zulu is also gay when canonically... But this is like John Cho, right? It's not even George Takai. It's, no, it's, it's not like even a, George yeah, Takai. It's yeah. John Cho. It's a different actor. But um, again, like George Takai himself was apparently like offended by it because he's like, the character is not gay. I'm gay. I'm an actor. I play different people like who aren't just me. Like I don't know. There's Yeah, there is this like... And, and there's some other, I mean, there are definitely other examples, I think, in like new, newer movies. And, you know, I, I don't know. Either way, it's, it does well, we seem like about, just We talked having about that it... Stormtrooper one in Star Wars, right? The, the like lesbian. No, no, case. it wasn't a Stormtrooper. It, like that, the one in Star Wars was um, was pretty preposterous to me because they, um, not that it's like weird that they, it's absolutely the opposite. Like in, they, it's in like one of the celebration scenes, I think, in like, the, you know, Rise of Skywalker. They're celebrating something. I'm not spoiling it for anybody, but. You know, if you haven't seen it by now and you care about the plot, I don't know where you've been. Like maybe you were in a coma. No, or I something. don't. But um, <laughs> either. either way, but the um, I don't know the they had a scene where it's like in the celebration. There's it's preceded by like what looks like a big space alien that it's like non-humanoid hugging um like a a, a male humanoid 
alien person from Star Wars. But um, the next scene is like two like humanoid women like embracing. And this was also kind of like publicized as this like big step forward. Um, kind of alluding to what Dan yeah. was saying, saying we're like any representation, um, even if it's just like a cu- like a cutaway scene, is kind of like is a victory. And I, I remember thinking at the time like, okay, it's Star Wars. Like there's like all humans and aliens and like whatever mixed between like hanging out with one another. Like you think it would be weird to have like homosexuality in that universe i, I don't know it does yeah it seems kind of like a, a weird plot point i don't know <laughs> it's 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 super weird to like in any science fiction story i find it super bizarre <laughs> when people get like squicked about uh something as though um as though you know you, you have planets that have uh coexisted and and traveled between each other for centuries and people aren't fucking each other regardless of how gender works on your planet i don't that can't relate uh many desexualized uh comic book characters (laughs) (laughs) but like yeah there and it's it can get really frustrating um especially because it seems like these companies um really really want their rainbow capitalism credit for doing even less than the bare minimum, (laughs) like what you're describing in, um, in both star Wars and star Trek. Like, uh, I remember all of the, uh, like the media buildup, um, and how the studios like announced that this would be a thing that you can look for in the movie. Um, and invariably these moments are just like blink it, blink and you'll miss it. Shit. It's, uh, and it's, and it's really weird to, like, be in the middle of this thing where, on the one hand, um, like, allies (laughs) will be like, oh, that's so great. Isn't this so awesome? I support this. Um, and you're like, well, yeah, I mean, I don't not support it, I guess. And then on the other hand, you have all of the reactionary chuds who are like, this is literally ruining science fiction. How (laughs) dare you? I'm like, this is literally nothing. I can't emphasize enough how nothing this is. I am going to re-edit this entire movie, cutting out all the women and all the kissing. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody gets massive titties as well. It's, yeah. Of course, essential. Um... Samantha, could we talk about your uh, Tangerine, uh, your article about the film, since we're talking about movies? Um, yeah, let's talk about Tangerine. So, again, this was a movie, I think the Duplass brothers uh, like produced it. Produced or, it, yeah. yeah. And they're usually pretty uh, pretty good at spotting like new talent, but it was shot, I believe, on an iPhone, is that right? Yeah, it was shot on a, on a couple of different iPhones. Yeah, what I, th- what I think is really most interesting to... Uh, talk about with Tangerine besides the the actual content of the movie, um, which is rich and and varied and beautiful, and I love it. Um, the approach to making it um, was such that the filmmakers um, had a concept about uh, fundamentally just like let's make a movie about uh, trans sex workers of color in this specific area um, because they uh, they knew the area and they knew that that was like the authentic environs um, and then went out and just started talking to people um, and 
during the course of their interviews and getting to know people and earning people's trust because they really needed to earn that trust as just some random white cis filmmakers kind of creeping along and observing everybody on the block. Um, they, they would have these conversations and get to uh, the, the real lived experiences of people um, who were in this position um, and then got those people directly to uh, take part in making the film. Um, and, 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 and not just like behind the camera, but the film's stars were cast this way. Um, not through casting agencies, not through um, trying to think of any uh, famous movie stars that, uh, you know, like could play trans convincingly uh, to somebody's... Uh, yeah. <laughs> you all right so, there, uh, but, but they actually... <laughs> uh, but they actually, you know, did the, the literal legwork um, to, to talk to folks and offer people opportunities to tell stories that looked like theirs on screen. Um, and that's really like, um, as well shot as it is. And the lighting as, uh, too is well, amazing. It's, it's, Oh, yeah. it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And they, and they really make the most of using the natural lighting of California in it and getting a lot of, um, like super sun-kissed shots uh, backed up by some really washed out scenes. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of visual diversity. Um, but like really on a fundamental level, it, would, it just wouldn't be an, as, as honest a movie as it is without that kind of input. And not just without the input, but without having that uh, concern for authenticity and for, um, and for truth and for empathy, um, for the film subjects, if it wasn't baked in, uh, to the beginning of the project. I think that's really what we can credit, uh, with how good this thing is, is because they set out to make it that good from the start. And they didn't fucking whine about it. Yeah, <laughs> in your mind, though, it bucks the whole like representation thing, right? Um, how do you mean? Well, in terms of like representation matters, politics, tokenism, it actually like. Yeah. Oh sure, 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 sure. Yeah, well, I th I think that um, well, so there are a few things to to unpack there. Um, I think there there's such a paucity of um representation of good representation for trans women of color and especially black trans women um, who have been really relentlessly stereotyped in ways that even white trans women like myself are not subject to. Um, so yeah, I, th I think there's, there's more, um, there's more to be said about just the flat out power of having a black trans woman play a black trans woman. Um, but at the same time, it it, um, it 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 is still a role. It is still one of these roles that, um, as as emotionally uh, connected as you can feel to these women and uh, how much their their stories and their performances can move you, um, and even move you to take action, um, the the material benefit. Um, only goes so far 
And like, and again, and I'm not, and I'm not saying that there is no material benefit here because that got these women jobs that got them, uh, more to put in portfolios that gave people paid and, uh, furthered careers, which is valuable right now, obviously. Um, but you know, I, I think the, one of the big, uh, sources of frustration from the, from the right and the, and the center with progressivism is there's the question, like, when is it enough? When, you know, you keep demanding and demanding, you know, when is it going to be enough? Um, and you know, there's so much more to do. I don't know when to tell you it's going to be enough. Um, and we, and we really need to be in such a better place when it comes to flat out rape and murder in this country before we can really start talking about, you know, okay, let's, let's calm down on the, on the whole centering black trans women thing. Um, so yeah, I, th I think that there's like, this is definitely a success story. Um, I, I, I view it as that, um, I think you can probably draw, yeah, I think you can probably draw a line even from Tangerine to Disclosure itself, um, as, like, uh, Hollywood gets more and more receptive to just plain, flat-out letting us tell our stories. Um, but we aren't there yet, and we're getting there. Um, it is, it is a component of social change that I think is very valuable. Um, it's not the be all end all. Um, and really what we're seeing in, uh, in activist spaces with regards to, uh, you know, people like Lely and Polanco, um, that's where like the really, uh, immediately necessary work is being done. Um, but I, I am, I am not going to, uh, necessarily slag on changing hearts and minds. I think it's a good thing. Definitely. Yeah. I, I one of the uh, quotes I pulled out from your article, um, you said that Tangerine hits plenty of tragic notes in its plot, but it's never voyeuristic or rubbernecking. Instead, it transports the viewer directly into the one day at a time realities of black and Afro Latinx trans sex workers in cities like Los Angeles. And um, that definitely was like something that I was thinking about when I was watching the movie, I rewatched it like a week or two ago and um, I had seen it when it first came out and it reminded me of um, a lot of times like uh, people talk about the beautiful struggle in black movies and how, especially yeah. like movie black movies that win Oscars, you know, it's frequently depictions of slavery. It's picture. It's like this equation of um, like a minority with the struggles that are imposed upon them by like white supremacy or by patriarchy. Um, yeah. And instead of like letting it, instead of letting movies be like black movies for black people or like telling the, you know, the stories about the joys of like, of being black in this country, um, you know, minus obviously the, the dealing with the police and dealing with white supremacy and the legacies of, you know, 
transatlantic slave trade and everything like there is joy in in black yeah. life and what like w- paving over that and making it all just be about like you know all black people think about all day is how they can uh, how they need to struggle and rise up and it's like that's not exactly true you got to kind of let people <laughs> if you're going to actually do this representation you kind of need to let that breathe you need to let people like show the diversity of what it's like to be a member of that community instead of just right. like boiling it down to this essential and like political thing that ultimately comes off as for like white or mainstream consumption. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a term that gets used a lot um, in uh, I know in, in intra community um, discussions about this sort of thing. Um, uh, the, the, the term being trauma, trauma porn. Yeah. yeah I've heard that. Before, um, yeah. Yeah, it's and what you said uh, about about also depicting the joy is like that's kind of it. Like um, the you you have a, a responsibility to show like the fullness of a life, um, especially when we are we're talking about an artistic depiction uh, of somebody who's from one of these marginalized communities, um, and like particularly if you're a, a, a creator uh, with who, who does not experience those intersections of marginalization um, to really make an effort at um, showing the, the, the entirety uh, of what's happening here. And that's what is really so lovely uh, about Tangerine is that you, you have to sit uh, with these women as horrible things happen, as they have to confront uh, realities that they, they don't want to believe um, and, and fight against forces in their lives uh, against which they have no control, really. Um, but you also get to take part in uh, the joy of these women's experiences with each, with each other and their friendship. Um, and it's yeah there there's there's so much beauty that gets flattened out in the pursuit of these really high drama um stories about somebody else's idea of what oppression is like um and it really re- you're right it really is not oftentimes for the community that it's representing and that's just a giant problem um one of the earliest pieces that I wrote after uh, I came out and started doing like dedicated uh, trans-focused uh, journalism and like entertainment criticism um, was a review of *The Danish Girl* with Eddie Redmayne, which obviously won an Oscar, um, and I just found the entire thing repellent. Um, not just because Redmayne was like playing trans, but because uh, Lily Elba, who the um, the film is based on, was a real person right. with a real life, and that real life was just cut into shreds. So they Hollywooded up the the story of of this woman. Absolutely, absolutely, and and the 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 book that this is based on that was itself very loosely based on uh, Elba's memoir. Um, really just one of the best things about uh, Lily Elba uh, and her wife Gerda 
was that she was out to Gerda and it was fine. Like, she was actually known for writing, like, girl-on-girl smut <laughs> at the time. Like, she, and she did female nudes. Um, it was literally, she did not have an issue with her husband transitioning into a woman and having a wife. Um, and, like, in they would have parties and invite soldiers, and Lily would flirt and sort of, like, kiss up on some of the soldiers. And then both of them went to bed together and were like, that was so much fun. Mm -hmm. And none of that is in the film. Absolutely none of that emotion is in the film. That's the joy we were talking about, right? That, that, that yeah, never yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and instead, the Danish girl is literally all about how her wife can't possibly understand what's happening, but is trying to stand by the person that she loves, nevertheless. Uh, and also her kissing guys, but being like really, uh, spooked about it and like, Oh my goodness. Um, and, but just like, yeah, n none of their relationship in that movie was based on reality. And that itself, like we can talk about that representation and how that affects, uh, people's real life expectations, uh, of what would happen if their partner was to come out as trans or would they were to find out that somebody that they were attracted to is trans or etc um you know these these things aren't really very well thought out by people that aren't directly affected by the issues that they're trying to grapple with um it's it's oftentimes very surface level analysis that leads itself to greater and greater problems that then we have to deal with on our own because people have these misconceptions. You wrote this article uh, in Daily Extra that I believe you even highlighted in your email to me as something you wanted to talk about. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk about it. Um, sure. What the hell is this? Uh, the the <laughs> menstruators, uh, the, the, yeah. the turfs uh, seem to be very mad at something. They're, they're generally, that's, that's what they do. Um, so what in 2016, I wrote a piece for the establishment, um, which ended up getting a, a lot of attention. Uh, I ended up going on some other podcasts about it and things. Um, but it was just about, um, a, a little, uh, phenomenon I'd noticed among people I knew. Um, specifically trans feminine people I knew, uh, that, um, after they'd gone on, uh, uh, hormone replacement therapy, HRT, um, which for trans women usually includes, uh, some sort of testosterone blocker, uh, and, uh, a form of estrogen. Um, by now, now we have bioidentical estrogen in various forms, um, so after they had gone on um, HRT for a while, um, some of them started noticing that they had a recognizable uh, like hormonal cycle. Um, and I found this out because I was dating this girl at the time uh, who we were just hanging out in her kitchen. She was making some food and was grumbling uh, because she just realized uh, she's like, oh, my period is going to start in a few days and I have to go to the doctor and I really don't want to be on my period while I do that. 
And I stopped and I'm like, what are you talking about your period? I've had your dick in my mouth. <laughs> what are we talking about here? Uh, she's like, no, it's not like, I don't bleed, but about every month for roughly a week, I cramp up, I get nauseous, I bloat a little, you know, uh, so, you know, that's my period, essentially. And I was like, well, that's new. <laughs> that's a game changer. Because, uh, you know, that's just one of the things that you kind of take for granted. Like, well, I, at least I don't have to deal with a period. Nope. Not to overstep, but no doctor ever said that that was a thing that was made that may occur? Nope. Huh. Nah. Nah. Um, so that, and that's really why I wanted to write this thing is because it's, um, it's really well known in the trans community how little is actually like concretely known uh, about HRT. Like we can, uh, we know generally some side effects uh, and, and things of that nature. But a lot of the like long-term uh, sorts of uh, scientific studies that we would want in terms of just like knowing how to like correctly prescribe and uh, keep up with uh, these levels, like we just don't have that research uh, because it doesn't get funded. Um, but hopefully that changes. Um, in the relatively near future, we're get we're getting more and more attention on us from a medical standpoint. So as as dubious as that can be, um, you know, I, I I'm I I do want to see more science about um, what our what our various options are. Um, but you know, a lot of a lot of times you just have to do research on your own and bring that to your doctor and say, can we try this? So you have to hold their you have to hold their hand through this. They they, they don't they don't lead you sometimes. Okay. Uh, I mean, and I will absolutely not speak for all trans healthcare providers. There are trans people in medicine who do very well. Um, but like, I even had initially a a trans woman um, who initially prescribed me uh, hormones, and it didn't really come up as a possibility. Um, so there's a yeah, there's just like a lot of questions. Um, not necessarily about like the overall safety about these treatments, but the minutia of their effects and uh, what what can be expected. Timelines are still very very up in the air. Um, it's you gotta figure it out on your own, um, and just a lot of things happen when they happen, which isn't ideal. Anyway, um, so. I was like, I, I just want to know more about this. I want to know if other people are experiencing this. So I put out just kind of a general call on my Tumblr at the time. Um, and uh, 10 or 12 people ended up getting in touch uh, and we talked. Um, and they reported various and assorted symptoms that were associated with menstruation in cis women um, and, and transmasculine folks also. Uh, and... So I just thought that that was super interesting in itself because um, it kind of does point to, you know, we there are things that we don't know. This would be neat to find out what the overall uh, sort of like average uh, occurrence rate of a noticeable like uh, period uh, would be in, in somebody who is taking HRT. Um, but so meanwhile, while I'm asking these questions, Trans antagonistic feminists were not really pleased that that was the line that I was taking. 
Um, and, th- and they were because... vocal to you about this? Ooh, were they ever. Uh, I When I put out the call on Tumblr, I got a lot of really nasty messages in the reblogs and uh, on the... Uh, and just, like, in my inbox. Um, probably the worst thing that I saw in the course of that um, was some, like, uh, turf responding to another turf saying, uh, if they want to bleed between their legs so much, I can help them out. Ooh. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, no, that was... Yeah, that was definitely a, a super, super fun thing to see on my own post. That's horrible. I'm um, so sorry. Where, and I will remind you, like my my Tumblr at the time was just my name. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, it, but it um, there was a really concerted pushback uh, against this because of the idea that this was um, like outright colonizing uh like female experience uh and i and like i'm putting quotes around that word yeah. that that phrase that's not how i would put it colonizing um, is quite a loaded term for this yeah <laughs> just using like the whatever jar like buzzword or jargon they can use to like justify a, a absolutely flawed point well it's um it's basically the the stance that they've taken on trans identity since the 80s and since janice raymond um opined to the Reagan administration that this was not a thing that should be being covered. Um, and in fact, a lot of insurance agencies draw their uh, trans exclusionary policies from, in fact, that recommendation. Um, but yeah, there's um, there's a there's a real uh, idea that there are certain uh, elements of female identity that are just flat out biological and if you don't have those experiences you just aren't a woman um and there are so many problems with that because and and plenty of cis women have uh pointed this out too um you know if you're a cis woman who doesn't menstruate uh guess what you're not a woman to these people uh, if you're a cis woman who was born without a vagina, which happens, uh, guess what? You don't count as a woman to these people, apparently. Um, so there's there's so much, so many issues. Yeah. I don't know how you deal with this kind of, I mean, how do you deal with this kind of just utter stupidity in your mentions? Uh, well, so, I mean, in in my mentions specifically, it's died down a lot. Good, good. Um, good to hear. I'm actually fairly... I'm fairly lucky overall in that I have not experienced uh, a great deal of sustained harassment. Um, I will get people uh, teed off at me just like coming at me every once in a while. But um, for the most part, I haven't really um, experienced a whole lot of uh, targeted harassment. I think because uh, the dudes at Kiwi Farms just don't think I'm funny enough to troll. Um, I've definitely showed up in a couple of their threads at this point, and I just don't think I'm an, uh, an attractive enough lol cow for them to pursue. Uh, but it's frustrating, um, especially because, you know, um, so one of the, the things that you brought up, uh, Dan, I wrote a follow-up, uh, essay for the Daily Extra about this, um, because there's still... Uh, a lot of pushback against uh, just the idea that what I reported on could be possible, and also the uh, changes in language that um, some activists have been advocating for. Um, and in particular, 
the uh, like replacement uh, of like women in while talking about menstruation to just saying people who menstruate or menstruators, if that's uh, more pithy for your purposes. Personally, I don't particularly care for how menstruators rolls off the tongue, but whatever. Uh, I say people who menstruate, it's fine. It gets the job done. It's a bit It's a bit of like a laboratory kind of feel to it. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. Bring forth the menstruators. <laughs> but the response to that was like, oh, these fucking trans women, they just, they want us to stop using the word women uh, because they feel so offended by it. Um, and that's not, that's not even close to, but the, the actual, the actual, uh, reasoning behind why, like, a lot of activists were doing this, um, was because of transmasculine people and trans men who do menstruate and have been completely left out of a lot of conversations about menstruation, uh, and their menstrual health, uh, that affects, uh, you know, their health. Uh, because they don't, their, uh, their bodies are not cis women's bodies, uh, and they need to be treated in a different way and they need competent and knowledgeable medical care around that. Um, but because trans women are a visible and easy target and trans men are much, much, much less visible and they're just not a, uh, a subject of conversation a lot of times, which is its own huge problem. Um, this gets directed at trans women um, as though we are uh, this cabal of thought police that are just like bent on, uh, for some reason, colonizing gender and uh, putting our, our boots on the necks of real women everywhere. Um, yeah, I mean, so yeah, no, it's it's frustrating, but at the same time, you know, there's so many things that I have that I can think about. Um, I try not to give them too much of my energy. What really gets my goat is when their horse shit gets mainstreamed, um, as it did with J.K. Rowling, uh, when she she went on this whole manifesto. Uh, about how she felt so attacked for just uh, the, the simple act of not thinking that trans people were their, the genders that they say they are. Uh, and she just has just to all this throw shit. it out there with to her like billions of fans. She just has to say it or else like she would just she would just explode. It's like it would be like somebody cast Expelliarmus <laughs> on her head. It would be very, very distressing. I wish someone would cast Obliviate on me, so I forgot who she is. Am I right? (laughs) A couple of weeks ago, last week. Oh, God, it was just last week. uh, uh, Jim Lankford uh, from Oklahoma, uh, the senator from Oklahoma, um, blocked Senate consideration of the Equality Act, uh, citing J.K. Rowling's essay. Oh, my. Like, quoting quoting her... um, about uh, empathy Ugh. and everything. And and he said, uh, quote, let's work together to get equality. This bill does not do it in this form. By doing the opposite? Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, no, it's, and it's really, really frustrating how more, more than just like TERFs and the radical feminists who just uh, have gotten radicalized into this. Um, because that's like, honestly, that's how 
you know, a, a lot of these women are radical feminists who have gotten like love bombed by right-wing reactionaries uh, and have gotten and have like bought into this ideology as a result. Um, it's frustrating more than anything else how um, easily they are used for uh, the, the purposes of the right and how willing they seem to be to let that continue happening. Um, it's, it's really, it's public knowledge how a lot of these groups are directly funded by religious fundamentalists. Um, like the, the, like turf groups in the UK are directly receiving funding from US based religious fundamentalists. Um, and their members, the members of these groups don't think of that as a red flag. They think, how weird is it that, you know, the only people who are standing up and agreeing with us on this really common sense point are these wacko fundamentalists on which we agree with literally nothing else that they say and have been trying to harm us for decades. Isn't that so crazy? And they don't do any analysis of that beyond that surface. Could level. we tie this into your article about pinkwashing the uh, potentially Iran war? I mean, we have John Bolton running around with a new book that everyone seems to be uh, purchasing. Yes, please, please segue into more of my work, you delicious <laughs> bastard. <laughs> so you wrote this great article that uh, uh, I believe it's titled Don't Let the GOP Pinkwash a War with Iran. Uh, I mean, don't do it. That's that's my I mean, point. It's, it's, a, it's still as relevant as when you wrote it, even though we, at that time uh, after the I'm assuming that was written after the killing of Soleimani. Yeah, so yeah, it was like right. After yeah, that was that was about a week after I think that went up. So I have to say it's still as relevant as it is right now. It's like I could see Trump starting a war with Iran just to distract from the, the coronavirus or something. Sure. I, and and I don't think that that would work in his favor no, at all. But he would. Do he it. would do it. <laughs> we don't have to get into. It. I, I don't like talking about him because I think it's boring. But yeah. <laughs> um, talk about pinkwashing. What is what is pinkwashing? So pinkwashing. Um, a little while ago, I I said a a, a phrase, uh, rainbow capitalism, um, that relates to this. Uh, pinkwashing is basically using um, using the aesthetics of uh, gay and queer rights. Um, to, uh, let's, let's say distract from, uh, the, the conservatism that underlies what you actually want to do. Um, and Republicans have been getting better at this. Um, the more it has become clear that at least LGB rights are not really going anywhere in the near future. I mean, God, until, I mean, don't ask, don't tell was still a law until how long ago? Like it's 2016. Yeah. So you, we can see this like, um, in, you know, there was that, um, video, uh, of, uh, a, a gay man being thrown off a roof. Um, I think in Saudi Arabia, um, I can't remember off the top of my head what country that was. A country that um, is conspicuously left out of the pink washing, um, sure. thing, like argument. This idea we need to go like liberate <laughs> Iran. It's like, well, what about the relatively large company country bordering it that also we're like yeah. very close allies with? We buy a ton of oil from, and their human rights practices are like at least as bad. Yeah, 
after that happened, uh, you saw a lot of conservative politicians and pundits come out and be like, uh, well, you know, how can uh, the, the hippy-dippy liberal left uh, claim to support gay rights while also not allowing us to go to war with these people who have this evil religion that compels them to throw gay people off roofs. And obviously that's not is Yeah, right. (laughs) Page one. (laughs) Uh, Before we get to the rest of this stuff, you gotta throw the gays off a roof. Um, That's not Islam, obviously. You know, that it's, it's this, again, really surface level idea of, of what, uh, Islam looks like, and really, because they can't talk about religious fundamentalism without showing their own ass. Um, but this concern for gay rights uh, is the uh, is the Trojan horse, essentially, for doing whatever else they want. Really, pinkwashing uh, refers to more of the uh, capitalistic sense uh, in like. Um, it's it's basically the the queer version of whitewashing. Um, it's it's more often ref, uh, used to refer to company policies and like branding. Um, like you'll notice during Pride Month, uh, usually a lot of like banks uh, and places will redesign their uh, their brands or their logos to have rainbows. Um, they'll conspicuously run. Uh, a TV ad with a same-sex couple um, that are, like, kissing in the sunlight or something, um, and, like, affirm their social acceptance uh, for gay rights, theoretically, or, or rather uh, signal their social acceptance for gay people while also, you know, uh, funneling all of their their money to campaigns for politicians that just oppose all of that they also i find a lot with um with also with like the um with those ads i get all the time so my my wife is black and we get targeted ads all the time where it's like white man sometimes it's even as specific as like jewish man like black woman relationships (laughs) And I'm like, you guys are listening. Like, you're it. listening to me way too much. And that's gotten to yeah. the point that, like, every time we see one now, I want to just throw the TV out the window. I'm so annoyed. I'm just like, stop it, stop it, stop it. Show me like a different, any other race. It's fine. Yeah. Any other combination. I'm not saying Baruchata ever again. Yeah. <laughs> the last time I do my uh, my seder blessings in front of the television, we will lock up and. Uh, take the batteries out of all phones next time we do Passover. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a couple more things we wanted to ask before we let you go here, Samantha. Um, so one thing we were wondering is if you could, uh, we know you participate on OnlyFans, uh, oh, the website or the app. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. Could you describe kind of the, the, the benefits? The Is there a stigma? Is there, I mean, is there a parasocial element to it that you find uh, interesting or odd? Like just what's, what's your experience with that? Cause we don't really know much about it. Hello Gavones. If you want to hear these, you're going to have to subscribe to our brand new Patreon at patreoncom slash hog planet, where we'll be posting post game segments like this and lots of, of other bonus rewards. And maybe you'll even help us break even on the fucking podcast. And now, back to the show. 
Samantha, we have to ask you. Uh, you're in Massachusetts. We're we're. Uh, I'm in Brooklyn. Uh, my co-host Sam is in Washington D.C. We talk endlessly about the uprisings going on in our communities. What is going on uh, where you live in Massachusetts? Uh, how have the protests uh, seemed since uh, when G- George Floyd was murdered versus now? Has it changed? Uh, just give us give us a quick summary, and then we will do the, we'll do plugs and say goodbye. Um, so Northampton, where I live right now, is in western Massachusetts. Um, there's uh, there is definitely a a, a pretty strong. Uh, activists seen out here. The street protests are not uh, like going on consistently, um, but a lot of activist work through, um, in particular, groups like the Pioneer Valley Worker Center uh, is being done. Um, and yeah, a, uh, actually, a um, the 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 demonstrate the physical demonstrations that we did have. Um, were organized by uh, young black women in the community that um, I'm not going to name, um, but like it, that that much uh, was was nice to see. It's really 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 white out here, um, but it's good that people are stepping back and letting um, these young activists who, like you said, Sam have they've got all their skin in the game. Uh, they uh, you know we're we're letting them take the lead. Um, set the agendas, make the demands. Um, the uh, you actually actually come to think of it, um, if anybody watched uh, last week tonight with John Oliver, uh, the the episode where he talked a uh, couple weeks ago where he talked about uh, defunding police. Um, the the clip at the end where uh, some officer is talking about. Um, just because McDonald's makes a bad hamburger doesn't mean all McDonald's are bad. Uh, <laughs> um, and and like immediately the crowd starts booing as a what the fuck does that mean? Uh, that was in Northampton. Oh, um, were you there? Oh. That was in your community. I was not. I was not there at that action because I, I saw the. Um, clip. I was at. The, oh my! That, yeah, that was one of the most toothless things said. In this yep. whole last few months, just by a cop, like it was really pathetic. I, was all right, really let's pathetic. drop the let's drop um, the audio in right here. One bad hamburger at McDonald's does not make McDonald's bad. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> yeah, that's that's not good. <laughs> it's so bad. It was really embarrassing. Um, they had to like the police department had to release a statement. <laughs> <laughs> like clarifying and everything. Oh, because it got God. so much attention. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I lost my mind seeing that because it was it was so wild to see that. Like, but um, I think it is pretty important to recognize that um, you know Northampton's situation is weird because um, we are this uh, really intense liberal enclave, uh, and like even more so than Boston. Um, like Western Mass has uh, so many colleges scattered around that um, a really good proportion of the population at any given time is college students. Um, But there are also a fair number uh, of aging white hippies 
um, who are not really their old radical selves mm -hmm. <laughs> anymore um, and are really more, uh, their speed is more uh, looking at the rainbow crosswalks that we have on, <laughs> uh, on Main Street and, and saying it ain't that nice and uh, then going around and abusing the homeless Would people. Would it surprise you that... Dan's it, about to say that... The, Dan's about to go off on the boomers, I believe. No, yeah. no, no. I'm going to save that. I'm going to save that. No, but would it surprise you to know that in New York City, it's the same fucking shit? <laughs> well, yes. Well, yes. <laughs> They're just richer out oh, yeah. there. No, yeah. uh, they've got smaller yards. Um, <laughs> but I think... Uh, yes, there, but even though there's... There's that mindset and the uh, and the idea that we can have progressive policing out here. Oh. Um, there's definitely that idea, um, but we are uh, making progress um, in in our demands. Uh, I think I I think the council just voted to uh, defund the NPD by ten percent. That's a start. Um, <laughs> It's a start. Um, I think uh, the strongest statement that a counselor has made has been like, I want to aim for 35% defunding, which obviously is not uh, what our end goal is out here. But um, I think we're, we're putting a lot of pressure on people. Um, the first council meeting um, that they had where they were... Um, re really, a lot of this in, in Northampton has... Um, coalesced around both uh, Floyd's murder and uh, the coincidental timing of um, the police department's request for a budget increase. Mm. Um, I'd read in Boston they, that they, they got uh, $200,000 for military tactical gear in the first uh, like four months of this year or so. Yeah. Um, Northampton was asking for 200000 and an increase um last year they got apparently a million dollar budget increase um and they've been like even just in the couple of years since i moved here um there have been multiple um community movements to be like hey uh the npd wants to install security cameras on main street so we need to <laughs> mobilize and say no to that um there's there's a just there's a lot going on. Um, you know, there's this whole, uh, you know, the moderates on the council are like, well, we, this is just for uh, routine uh, increases. This is for pay increases. You know, we just got to get it done. It's in the, it's in the contracts. It's in the charter or whatever. Um, and, but there's a, a growing number of people um, that are like, yeah, but what if no? What if we just did not do that? Um, and the first uh, council meeting to to vote um, on that and to uh, to hear from the police chief um, on what the increase was for, there were almost six hundred people in the Zoom call. Wow! Hanging out and waiting and waiting to to give public comment. Um, I think the public comment portion ended up taking like three and a half hours. Like just by itself, um, and they've been and you know uh, Pioneer Valley Workers Center has been they organized a uh, like a basically a drive by on all of the council members' uh, houses. Oh, that's where, awesome! Uh, they, we got a 
a, a car convoy together that would stop at each council member's house and read out the list of demands. Yeah, Black, My- Black Lives Matter DC, uh, the DC chapter is also doing those ki- those council member drive-bys, and sure, DC yeah. did recently decrease the budget for um, for the MPD, the you know, Metropolitan Police Department here. But uh, that budget is still six, like nearly six hundred million dollars. DC has the highest per capita amount of police per like to uh, you know civilians of any American city. Uh, so yeah, things aren't getting much better here. But I think it's sim- a similar situation where there's um, you know a, a budget cut is good. We want and we want that, but it, it can't be the end of the conversation. And um, it it's annoying that there's all these attempts to kind of divert the message and like co-opt the movement a little bit especially like in dc we, we were the first to get the black lives matter mural done on the street it's like the part of 16th street right in front of the white house is now known as black lives matter plaza did you see de blasio is doing one literally right in front of trump tower i want to like yeah. just you mean the thing that nobody was asking no. for yeah. <laughs> But we're getting it. We said decrease the yeah. police budget, not spend money on stuff like. That. I mean, like I guess like it's it's nice. Like I'm not. Yeah, I like a mural, it, but... but it's like that's you you, you literally. De Blasio literally said it was okay to run people over with a cop car if they're yeah. in front of it. So I don't really care if he wants to do a mural. I will say about um, DC. Uh, one of the groups that I know that is doing some of uh, the most important work right now um, is No Justice, No Pride. Um, a collective of uh, trans women of color um, who are uh, working for uh, rights and housing for uh, trans sex workers mainly um, and trans people who are homeless. Um, they've got a number of, uh, of houses that they maintain that provide housing for people who don't have it. Um, they do a lot of organizing against uh, the MPD um, and uh, specifically were founded around the MPD's involvement in uh, Capital Pride each year. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, th- I think that they're they're incredible people doing really great work. So I think that's time to wrap things up. Uh, Samantha, please uh, plug anything you would like to plug uh, right now. Absolutely. Um, if you want any updates on my work, uh, they are going to come from twitter.com slash Samus McQueen. Uh, that is my terrible Twitter handle that I made when Dan That's amazing. And I were in college Are you together. kidding? That's a great Twitter handle. That's great. <laughs> it's so dumb. Mine's worse. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's Samus as in Metroid, <laughs> M-C-Q-U-E-E-N. Um, my, uh, yeah, that's my... That's my um, forward-facing uh, work Twitter if you are interested in my not-say-for uh, work Twitter. Uh, that is twitter.com slash transamus, uh, T-R-A-N-S-A-M-U-S. And that's basically where I'm at. I mean, I don't really... I, w- I should probably have a website at this point. I've been a full-time freelancer <laughs> for almost half a decade. So we have Samus McQueen, Trans Samus on Twitter, uh, both uh, for different purposes, but uh, I think uh, I think our uh, listeners know the deal. I'll give you the goods, baby. Thank you. And you have given us the good on- goods. That was the sexiest possible way of saying <laughs> Honestly, that. it works. Uh, you have given us the goods in this podcast. Uh, I would like to plug Joe Bags for doing the music for the show, uh, soundcloud.com slash Joseph S. Bags. 
Um, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Spaventacular, at S-P-A-V-E-N-T-A-C-U-L-A-R, a similarly awful handle that I'm stuck with. Uh, not to say yours are awful. That's at least a pun. Yeah. Mine's just like two characters that I liked when I was 19. <laughs> Do you know I had a friend who thought Samus's name was Seamus? <laughs> <laughs> Ah, the Metroids, laddie! <laughs> they got my brain. Sam, plug plug the Instagram and plug any any of your stuff. Um, sure, you can you can always as always follow me on on Twitter uh, talking about awful handles at Wagstank. You can follow the uh, Hog Planet Twitter at Hog Planet. You can also follow the show on Instagram at Hog Planet Podcast. Uh, Dan and I will be streaming. I, Dan, I think we're going to stream tomorrow. Not that I mean, the listeners are not going to. It's not going to be tomorrow for the listeners, but uh, we're doing regular streams. This will come out on a Friday, so we will be streaming uh, on 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 the day this comes out. So that too, but we will be streaming tomorrow as well. There we go. Yeah, tomorrow <laughs> and the day that this episode comes out. Not that that is useful to you if you are listening to this episode. But I will Having not said that, that. I'm leaving it in. Fine. Uh, we were. Yeah, we're. We do weekly live streams on the Instagram live and uh, and yeah, that's where you can find us. Samantha, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's really great to hang out and talk. And as always, this is Hog Planet.